Hello. This weekend, it's the Loco Comedy Film Festival across a handful of the capital's best cinemas, and I got the chance to sit down with a feature programmer and organiser, Jonathan Wakem, alongside the writer, director and star of a very funny film that is on this year's programme. Sarah Warren is the auteur, I usually might hate me using that word, of MLE, a totally mega funny film. We sat down at a kind of noisy area of the BFI to talk about filmmaking and this year's festival. Okay, so first question, could you tell me a little bit about your new film, MLE? Yes. Spoiler free, if possible. Okay, absolutely. Ooh, spoiler free. I suppose you can't really do it. It's not quite as... <laughs> yeah, we'll just give highlights, like just the tip. Just just the tip of the spoiler, but <laughs> yeah. not the whole package itself. Um, first of all, awesome to be on a podcast. I love podcasts, nice. and it's been nice to meet you. So MLE stands for My Little Eye. It is a spy caper, but it's not your average spy film, and the lead character, Julie Robert, is not your average spy. She's not very good at it. Apparently, she's not very good at acting either because she's a broke actor, and that's why she needs money. So she comes across this spying gig um, after running someone over with her car. Slight, just the tip spoiler alert there. And then gets involved in a cult while eating a lot of cake and being refused by a number of agents. <laughs> so, yeah, there you go. There's right. some highlights. Yeah, yeah. And there are, it's, I just want to say, it is very, very funny. I'll, I'll get to it in a minute, but it's, it's very, very funny. I'm um, so honoured that you think that. <laughs> no, but it really is. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about yourself uh, and sort of how you kind of got to where you are now. Um, so kind of starting at the beginning, did you go to like film school or did you go to like drama school? So you're Canadian. Yes, yes to both. Right, okay, so you're from <laughs> Toronto? Yes, I am. And so I'm, I'm half British, half Canadian. And uh, I don't know, London's kind of like a bad ex-boyfriend that keeps uh, pulling me back because <laughs> I just, I've been drawn here since I was 10 years old, back and forth. And now I'm permanently here for now. But yes, I went to drama school and then also film school. So I did um, undergraduate in gender studies and in acting. So, and then I, I met, my last year I studied with Adam Agoyan, who's our kind of claimed fame Canadian filmmaker. I'm smiling because he doesn't tend to do comedy films, but I really love his work, um, particularly his early stuff. So I did an interdisciplinary course with him, and it was two actors, yay, got chosen as one of the actors, two filmmakers, two musicians, and two visual artists. And we had a year with him to create a project. Wow. And I, I just realized that everything I'd ever written had been in a cinematic form but I just hadn't realized that yet a lot of people start in theater and they kind of learn to run before they can walk that's yeah. what I always tell my on-camera acting students it's like theater is so big and it's very demonstrative and, and I just love cinema for its yeah natural subtle ways and so I I just realized I fell in love through working with Atom how he always likes to pronounce his name and then I gave him a script and he said I'm not allowed to read this <laughs> but I'll read it off the record, this is very good, here's what you should do, buy a camera and make your own film. And I didn't really think that he expected me to do that. And the camera, the kind of 5D of the time was the HVX200, Panasonic, whatever. I went out and bought that um, camera, well, raised a lot of money, begged people for money, bought the camera, made a film. So it was my first student feature called Moments Before. And then a year later I showed it to him. I was like, Adam, I did it. Great, so what do you think? He's like, oh shit, what, you did this. <laughs> And um, it was uh, vignettes, and so I think a few of the vignettes stood out to him, and he said, you need to do comedy. He's like, I think you should do telly, <laughs> which I'm like, mm, no. And he's like, I think your next film needs to be personal and about you and comedic and have a tight structure, you know? And so I was like, Emily. And so that's so, what I did. And then after, sorry, drum school, then I went to film school. Okay. Did you have, like, a job 
were you doing like crappy jobs at the same time? Well, well I was spying, <laughs> so that was one of the jobs. But um, just when you first made your first film, like, what yeah. were you doing at the same time? Was you just at I was working, yeah, tw- in a 24-hour restaurant, uh, waitressing. I was bartending. I was tutoring. Um, I was doing everything. It was right, crazy. Yeah, and then I got into film school by sort of this feminist plea. I wrote this big essay to the school. I was like, please let me in because I don't want to spend my parents' money or be connected to this and that. I want to get in on my own two feet. And they accept it. And they're like, we accept you as long as you do 400 hours of work for our school <laughs> in 10 months. Like, wow, that's a lot of hours. Yeah. And on. so, but I, it's, it's a funny thing. And when we were speaking on the, the Loco panel today, I thought, I, I had such a backwards approach to becoming a filmmaker. I don't know if I should be giving this advice <laughs> because I went to acting school and then I made a feature film and then I went to film school, which is very bizarre. Yeah. Um, but I really had that. I was so obsessed with Miranda July at the time and still am, but I was like, I just want to make it my own way and not not understand what this medium is yet. And Before I make it, I know that sounds kind of backward, but oh. I understood acting and, and how to speak to actors and I understood visual art, but I didn't you know the day before we shot well not the day before I shouldn't say that but the week before that our cinematographer was saying and what aspect ratio do you want the shot and went <laughs> and so now obviously I'm a big tech geek and I'm all about frame rates and yada yada and I understand all of that because I was like I need to go to film school yeah. now and actually so learn what the hell lighting is on your uh, I'm talking so much sorry no no that's good I yeah. never do no, I'm no, usually like asking great. questions back um, so, yeah, on your IMDb page, right, which I have a little browse of, of course, oh, uh, you've got like, lots of script supervisor credits. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, that so was the big... So there's so many like hats that sometimes I forget five whole years of my yeah. life. Like. <laughs> well, I was thinking, you know, you must have be quite good at writing or you must enjoy writing if you like to kind of help other yeah. people. So I, I was kind of wondering, like, have you always written scripts? Was yeah, so acting and writing has always been the thing. And in Canada, we have these things called... Um, reading buddies okay. so I'm just looking so at Jonathan he's sitting here with me which is very and he's so prolific and I just feel silly that I'm that I'm doing the talking because he's so articulate but um so we have these things in Canada called reading buddies that you have you learn how to read from someone in an older grade and I used to bring in my own work <laughs> which is just hysterical and it was sort of life of pie-esque it was so weird because it was about a tiger and a boy on a raft and then 10 years later, Jan Martel, and he went to my school, Trinity College. I'm like, what? And so Jan came to lunch one day, and I'm like, tiger and a raft. I know what you're up to. But so I've always written and always acted, and I always felt a bit out of place around actors because I, I always wanted to do more than um, that. Not that that's not. It just wasn't kind of enough for me, I suppose. I wanted okay. to have my stamp and voice. Um, and give a voice to them because they weren't getting enough work and then I guess directing came later and it's quite a technical art form and it's I think acting unfortunately is a sprint and directing is a marathon you know because especially for a female actress it's like I'm coming up to 30 and it's a sprint I'm telling you Um, so yeah that acting and, and writing has always been a thing and then directing came later but script supervising it's sort of it's strange that it's called that because it sounds like script editing but it's actually continuity on sets right. so it's famous for the length of my cigarette and the height of my drink yeah, and yeah, if yeah. the tie is the same but I put myself in that position because you're right beside the director I mean I've literally worked with people who have me on their arm again I won't say you know I've worked with many wonderfully famous directors on 200 million dollar shoots and we get Jesus. oyster bars in the middle of the night and cheese trays and it was just amazing yeah. it's it's nobody wants to do continuity because it's um 
incredibly tough position and you're basically focusing for 16 hour days on lens sizes aperture consistency of aspect ratio and um not it's not just the makeup and wardrobe yeah, yeah. it's all departments that's great kind of practice it was it was yeah. it was the best it's not that ten thousand hours rule it, you know, it you was the best yeah. and, and you get paid really well and you're an hod right away you know that you're ahead of a department right away because you're the only one in the department you're sitting right by the monitor with the director you've got a comm tech so you are a spy yeah, i mean i spied on awesome. dozens of directors and it's funny because the position first ad on set should I always think should be called first assistant producer, not director, because it's scheduling. It's, it's not, you know, um, it should be a creative position ideally as well, but it's ultimately a scheduling position. Script supervising, I think, is absolutely the way to learn how to direct. That is fascinating. Okay. Um, and I'm um, so, and I'm, I kind of geek out on Chris Nolan's script supervisors and other, because we have this um, document called the Bible right. at the end of your shoot, and it's it's kind of everything. It's the visuals and all you know uh, camera stats for the entire show and all the notes on every take on performance and technical it's so well on and on inception his got stolen which is you know because i geek out on all the scripty stories and so halfway through the shoot um his got stolen his continuity bible yeah and there's all kinds of great apps and people have started using their ipads and there's this app called terra central and action log pro and you can get very geeky with continuity but the best scripties that's our nickname scripties still is paper and pen and it's observation you know and it's it's the non-famous parts of observing a scene that are that are most important like entrances and exits and yeah which way your head is turned and all that stuff that takes you out of a story and you don't want to okay well my other one of the other questions i was going to ask you is you are writer director producer actor it's true actress whatever you want to call it um I don't even know if this is a cliche question. I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you have a favourite, <laughs> least favourite of those? Yes. And why? <laughs> you know, just... Um, okay, so directing, and I said this the other day, I'm like, I love all my babies the same. But because you included producing in that, I will right. say, hands down, producing <coughs> is the least favourite. Right. Um, again, just, just on this channel. Yeah, and talking with... I suppose. Is that fair? Yeah. Do you say the least stressful? No. (laughs) Most stressful, least creative. I said, but I don't Um, know if that's even true. I think it's like logistics. And so so on the panel that we just had with with John, who directed Super Bob, he's saying he's an accidental producer. That's exactly what it is. I mean, got to get shit done. You got to get shit made. And so we become these kind of accidental business owners like me and him are CEOs of these small limited companies and accidental producers and it's just so tough I always think the soulmate you need to find in the industry as a director is your producer and it's just it's like stepdad you know your stepdad's never gonna quite love your baby like you do you know and so it that's a really tricky person to find and I'm you know I'm still looking for that person maybe you're out there <laughs> I'm going to talk in that voice so we'll go for a walk but do, you, do you love being in front of the camera as well like obviously you must do you look great in Emily you must oh, know you're thanks, in every my scene dear. you are That's the so film sweet. essentially I love um, oh it's so strange how it's, it's so indulgent to say you love starring or acting of course not I I've, love you know. um, I, I kind of geek out on the technical element of it like I was just in, in a TV show last week and it, it I got off on not impressing but like working with the team and the crew because I get that whole side now so to be able to know okay I'm standing right here because that's the perfect light for you and in this moment it's just 
it's like a sport. Like I used to be a professional rower, and it's so similar. It's the same hours. It's the same everything. And I, yeah, I like I like achieving a technical art. It's very much a craft and an art. Absolutely. And so and theater for and I act in theater as well and direct theater. But it does become very text heavy and why what do and I'm all about the want the objective the motivation I talk about that every day with my students but at the same time I love the combination of that and just get it done just grab a camera and just do it that film has yeah as an aside slightly I think I love watching TV and trying to deconstruct it technically I think film is often talked about theoretically and it's kind of analysed but television is not really thought about like that as much I think it will be I think think in the last two years you know two to five years wow I mean everyone's making the move isn't it like following Soderbergh so Mm -hmm. so what do you teach? I teach um, acting on camera and I teach directing and screenwriting and continuity actually so script how do you find that? I, I love teaching, yeah. I always say if I were to become the next Julia Roberts, who nobody even knows anymore. Jonathan and I were just saying, like, everyone we know is born in the 90s now. What the hell's wrong <laughs> with you people? Because um, I used to be called, growing up, like, oh, Julia Roberts. And now it's like, Tina Fey. And I'm going, Tina Fey's my absolute idol. Yeah, she's awesome. But I'm like, oh, it's, it's funny how the age is changing. Um, but I have just spent yeah. the last five years being a teacher. Uh, oh, me- really? Media studies and film studies teacher. Oh, cool, at, where? At yeah. Like, on the south coast of the UK. Uh, wow. And it was good for a long time. And then I got to the stage where I thought, I'm on the verge of becoming a bad teacher, and no one is a bad teacher. So I had to kind of no jump way. ship and move to London. I can't picture that about you. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's complicated. But I just kind of wonder, what, what, you know, do you, what kind of I students you have, whereabouts do you teach? Yeah, it's all about the group you have. So I teach at um, occasionally Central St. Martins, mainly the Met Film School, um, Central Film School, London Film School, I wow. think, London Film Academy. Yeah, I teach it a lot of places. Amazing. It's a real passion for me. And in the summer, I did a whole script supervision workshop in Malaysia because they've just opened a new Pinewood Studios there and they're shooting Marco Polo and it's huge. And so that they, there's a government initiative to teach um, like film crewing positions to the Malaysians and they were amazing. I yeah. had this class of like Buddhists and Taoists and um, like all different and a lot of Muslims and it was the first week of Ramadan and so and I thought these poor students, oh my goodness, because they were all like fainting, you know, <laughs> and they couldn't drink water and they could, I was thinking, you guys are troopers, this yeah. is amazing. Tough but then view. going out to the night food markets was pretty good. I'm going to Egypt next month to it teach cool, on, on camera acting. Oh really? Did you teach there? No, no, I just went out for holiday when I was 18. It's no. really hot, but it's it's awesome. You will love it. I think actors make good teachers because you can kind of tell when people are getting bored. Like maybe you are now. <laughs> Teaching is definitely a performance. Like, yeah, I think kind of think of it that way. You know, you kind of have to keep people's attention for a certain amount of time, mm-hmm. especially young people. Yeah. No, I think it's an. I I designed the module for how to direct actors at Central Film School, and I'm going. I just graduated film school five years ago, so the fact that I'm designing a BA course is pretty cool. Nice. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. good. So video games, right? I had to. I've got to say, in the film, Julia loves video games. Yeah. And obviously, you do as well. Yes. Is that a fair assumption? It's a fair assumption. It's just, I feel how she feels, which is I used to think it was this kind of sexist art form that yeah. I went. Ur, ur, I'm holding up my hands and an X, just in case <laughs> you're wondering what I'm doing there. And uh, yeah, and then I got introduced to puzzle. I mean, the puzzle video games are really the ones that I'm into most. So the ones that she mentions in the film there's a whole scene where they go back they have this kind of tennis That's match of their favorite videos ah cool thanks for liking it um and i like um so ico is my f- is my second favorite and portal being my my first favorite it feels like a very feminist video game but uh not that it needs to be that but it's just 
yeah, a woman with not the most enormous boobs in the world, kicking ass, making kind of vaginas in walls. <laughs> She's basically blowing open huge portals as it's in walls and jumping through them. And it's awesome. It's just the best game ever. And it's so funny. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, there's a Star Wars moment in Portal 2 that I won't spoil for anyone who hasn't played it yet but wow you're like oh, she's your what? <laughs> when life gives you lemons it's nice. amazing um, you used the word feminist a few times I know uh, that's it's good. coming out I mean, today look at that I think everyone should I don't know why anyone wouldn't be a feminist an idiot um, oh, but there's a this lot this guy's of, awesome like there are a lot of jokes in the, I mean the whole film is very kind of female isn't it I mean, some of the funniest bits where one of my favourite lines is uh, everyone's trying to fuck me or fuck me over Oh, that's so cool. that I can't believe you remember that. This is awesome. Yeah, and then you know, there's lots of, you yeah. know, it's a film about women. I was looking around at all the actors I knew. I'm like, you guys are all weird and hilarious, and it's just, yeah, has to be shown more. Yeah, and and with those t- the tender reality check moments of, I mean, the Guardian released this article last year that said 80 percent, 80 percent of women in the entertainment industry are abused. You know, at some point, and it's like, nice. and Emily is really subtly and. I hope in in an accessible way, touching on that, you know, because she she's with this guy in his damp basement, and he's like, "Yeah, we could be sexual soulmates," and everyone has a big oh, laugh at that point. That joke uh, about the lovely bones, <laughs> I'm not going to ruin it, but the lovely bones joke <laughs> fucking killed me. I thought it was You're hilarious. Amazing, we have to be friends. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, I'm so glad you like that because actually the editor wanted to take it out. He's like, "This oh, scene, it needs no. to move." I'm like, "But that's the funniest that moment." Was such a good joke. Oh yay! And, uh, yeah, it's a real. Yeah. So I'm touching on that because it's it's kind of excused. I'm going, if this was in dentistry or like your vets <laughs> like this. But if you said 80% of, I don't know, London has AIDS. We'd be yeah, yeah. Like, but obviously it's a very strange, extreme example. But it's like 80%. That is you know, it's, it, but it's accept- that, that it's acceptable. It's very bizarre. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, I don't know if it's a cynical. I mean, it's kind of cynical, obviously, about the film industry. It's a film about filmmaking. Yeah. And, and what's weird the filmmakers is, are all dicks in it. It's true. Well, the agents, the agents, but I try to keep that juxtaposition of like the whole world is cakes and it's all pink and blue and yellow and it's all, I don't know, onesies and everyone, you know. So I hope that that made it accessible. He's looking at his watch. No, no, no. I just wondered how long we've been talking. It's great. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay, so let's talk about Loco. Yay! Right. Uh, So could you just describe what Loco Comedy Festival is all about, and then maybe afterwards you can sort of say how you got involved with this area? Yeah. Yeah. Just explain a little bit. Uh, Loco is, well, it's the only international comedy film festival here in the UK. Um, and we set it up with a very, very clear, simple mission, which was to kickstart the next generation of British comedy filmmakers. Um, because I think we felt that, you know, Britain has an amazing heritage of comedy filmmaking sure. from, you know, Chaplin and onwards. The variety of comedies that most people get to see in terms of cinema is actually quite narrow. Um, and independent comedy films actually struggle to get distribution because they're not art house enough for the art house you yeah. want the kind of you know can award winning tragedy of the boy discovering dark secrets from his past in a fishing village where everyone dies <laughs> um, or yeah, the multiplex where they want you know Jennifer Anderson yeah. falls over several times oh, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. it ends Horrible. and so we felt that comedy you know tends not to win awards it tends not to be critically appraised very well but it's really, really hard because if you make a comedy film, as Sarah knows very well, you're doing 150% of making a movie. You have to do all of the things that everyone has, has to do yeah. and then make it funny. Um, so we felt that there was a role for a festival that celebrated comedy and that 
gave comedy filmmakers a bit of a lift up and I think because we were lucky enough to be here at BFI Southbank that by you know we could show new low budget independent kickstarted original different films alongside big established names yeah. and alongside you know small um, foreign language films that otherwise might not get distribution so it was a way of drawing attention to films that otherwise might not get attention okay and this year's theme is the theme of the festival this year is uh, comedy and social class uh, because we're three months away from the most complex and contested election in any of our living memories Definitely. I think so it felt like a good time to talk about social class in Britain we find it very difficult to t- we like we're all aware of it but we don't really have a language for it and sure. I think the comedy you know through films I mean right from you know Chaplin made a film called The Upper Class um, and then through Kynhards and Coronets and the sort of Ealing films Passport to Pimlico all the way through then to films like Four Weddings and a Funeral and uh, Fish Called Wanda and Summerstown um, Life is Sweet you know there's a, there's a great kind of thread of class-based comedy in, sure. in Britain that we felt was worth celebrating and I think worth raising that debate obviously also in the, the wake of you know last year we had Benefit Street and we had Emily Thornberry and we had Andrew Mitchell and we had David Meller a series of kind of news events that were about the fact that Britain's not in any sense a classless society and there's still a job to be done you know we still it's still a country where one percent of the people own 50 percent of the money and it felt like comedy and I've always believed that comedy is a good and useful way to talk about these things that we find difficult to talk about it's a I mean as we say in the trailer it's a safe space for dangerous ideas um, nice. Although, as we unfortunately <laughs> discovered this year, it turns out it's a dangerous place for dangerous ideas. Yeah, sure. And uh, I think, you know, people should be uh, thoughtful about what they say. But I think what comedy is very good at is, you know, comedy's not there to tell people what to think. But I think what it can do is to give them the right questions to ask. Yeah. And that, that's what it's there to do. And that's what we try to do here at the festival. Specifically with relation to MLE, um, we every year have the Loco Discovery Awards. Um, and that's one feature film and one short film. Um, they're, they're new, they're British. The feature films have to be either a first-time director or a director who's not yet had a, a full cinema distribution for their film, um, which, again, was about you know finding films that otherwise might kind of slip through the net, showing them at BFI Southbank, getting in, them into that programme, showing them to the press, you know, taking them on tour, giving them some PR. And what the thing I've always looked for and every year we've, you know, this is what we set out to do is to find somebody in this country who is a, you know, who could be a British Lena Dunham or Woody Allen or someone who can be a, you know, a writer and a performer and a director and a, a voice. What we always look for is comedy that is authored. And I think mainstream comedy films, many of them are very good, but I think they feel quite anonymous as quite in terms of their director. Yeah, I, and I think that they're almost deliberately anodyne. Yeah. And we wanted stuff that feels like it has a strong, personal, authentic, original voice. And that's why we were delighted to discover Sarah and MLE, because that is, you know, you are, you are that. You are that kind of amazing package that we pray for every year. And finally, you walked into our lives, and I'm very pleased that you did. I'm giving Jonathan a squeeze. <laughs> that's totally fine. An appropriate and safe one, but it's authored. <laughs> <laughs> Could you just explain a little bit about, do, do you try and get filmmakers to come to you and submit films? Do you go out and try and like find them? How does that really work? Because you're the programmer, is that correct? Uh, yeah, I, well, I, I program the feature films and Kevin Maynard programs the shorts. Okay. And um, we, it's a mixture. I mean, I think 
we, you know, I go out a lot and look at tiny websites and, and you know, the websites of very obscure film festivals around the world and we find, you know, this year we've got a film called Totally Talking, which is Czech, Farewell to the Moon, which is Dutch, you know, which do not have distribution here, otherwise I don't think we'd be seen here, but I think they're beautiful, interesting films and we, I kind of discovered them in the search. And then we have, I think now, I guess because this is the fourth year of the festival, the nice thing is, you know, I get calls from people saying, oh, I've made a movie, come and see the preview of this, and, or will you read the script, or will you come to a preview, you know. So I think there's, a, there's us going out to the world, there's people bringing stuff to us, um, and then there's a submissions process. So between June and September, we're kind of open for submissions of feature films and short films for selection, um, which we mean very deliberately. We try and, you know, we, we try and keep the submission cost very low um, and the criteria quite broad because you know we're looking for stuff that feels different and independent and authored and original and distinctive and um, you know so we try and cast that net pretty wide yeah I mean the only film I've seen so far was Welcome to Karastan and apart from Emily of course um, Welcome to is it Lost in Karastan or Welcome to Karastan it's Lost in Karastan it was originally called Welcome to oh it was originally called Epic right and then it was called Welcome to Karastan, and now it's called Lost in Karastan. Um, and I really enjoyed that film. It was like an interesting film. It was trying to tell a story about filmmaking and uh, storytelling, and then there was kind of like some absurd, funny moments in it. Um, and the other film that's playing tonight, I believe, is uh, a horror film. Summer's oh, of Summer of Blood. Yeah, it's so yeah. it does seem like you've got some interesting kind of range of films. It's not just. Well, I think you know, <clears throat> what what we wanted to do with the festival was to, I guess, to broaden. I mean, we've always said it's about broadening the taste of a mainstream audience. Right. So this is, you know, it's a film festival for people who don't go to film festivals. It's not. A, I think if you think about Fright Fest or Sci-Fi London, they're very yeah, much the kind of festivals. fan genre festivals. And comedy, comedy's not a genre. You know, comedy is just one tool in a director's armory. Mm. Um, and so comedy Profound. works across many, many different genres. You know, we've had horror films, we've had satire, we've had sci-fi, we have a beautiful sci-fi movie called The Infinite Man, which is a time travel that's romantic comedy set in Australia um, that's playing on the Friday night at the festival. Um, you know, so comedy can encompass any genre. Yeah. Um, I guess what I would do, because I'm greedy, is to claim some films as comedies that other people may not categorise as a comedy. I mean, you know, I would say, mm. I mean, you know, we showed obviously Doctor Strangelove Last year, but I think I would also, but I would also happily show Clockwork Orange or Lolita, I mean, of Kubrick's work, because I think there's a very strong black comic undercurrent to those films. I mean, my favourite comedy films are, you know, it's Harold and Maud, it's The Apartment, it's Manhattan, it's you know, it's it's films that have a very strong dramatic element mm -hmm. that is told with a comic yeah, with a sensibility. If you see what I mean. And I think Karastan's like that. I would agree with you. It's not. I don't think it's uh, what everybody would consider. It's certainly not a mainstream comedy. Yeah. But I'm I think it's not funny. I'm just saying it's not just a comedy film. It's basically. Well, I think its sensibility is closer to Kafka or Bulgakov. Yeah. I guess than it is to um, Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and 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 it's all the better for that, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Of course. <laughs> um, I, one of the other questions I wanted to ask you about is uh, Toronto. Sure. It's like the, the Toronto Film Festival is the kind of it's the big dog in a way. You know, it's, it they, they and release all the big all the films played in Toronto often go on to like get big American distribution deals. Um, so, did you go? Have you ever been? What's it like? Yes, I've had two shorts in TIFF. 
close. And we were very close to getting into TIFF this year. Right. Um, yeah, and it all comes down to one person's opinion. You know, that's the tricky thing. And I think some filmmakers set out to make a can film. Do you know right, what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, oh, sure. it's going to be you know, people cutting themselves in a dark room and then they're speaking three languages. And, oh, God, I'll never get into can now. And, um, <laughs> or a TIFF film. Or, but it's like you just, I don't know, I think you need to fit, make the film that you want to make and hope that people like it. Uh, yeah, it was it was really, really close as well. And they're like, oh, we had all these decisions. It's like the UK Discovery Award, what can I say? No, I'm kidding. Um, but, and, you know, and they said a few comments, like it was just a bit camp or like a little bit big or I'm going, but it's a comedy. Yeah. And so it is really tricky with these big fests. And, and we we're, you know, happy to be um, that closely considered. But it is, yeah, tricky with the big fest in terms of positioning comedy. It's like, well... It's a, it's a big story. It's a big character. It's yeah. it's comedy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very tricky. So, um, but yeah, my relationship with TIFF is strong. I hope to be there in the future. It's a tricky festival because it almost is entirely American centric, and yeah. I have a tricky relationship with Canada because all of our kind of comedic talent just escapes to either Britain or um, Hollywood, and then you know they're. Canadians are calling them up 20 years later being like please come back yeah it's it's embarrassing I I have to admit I can't think of many Canadian films that I've seen yeah I think the well the one film I saw this year did you watch The Dirties this year Oh, the I love the. I was like, "There's no oh, way um, that I haven't." Yeah. No, the Dirties is great. It's a, the. I mean, it's the kind of cleverest. I mean, that's another film that I think a lot of people would say, "Well, it's comedy, but it's really pushing." I mean, it's a comedy about a high sc- high school shooting. Um, and it's a really um, really funny one. It's a very very <laughs> funny film. It's also, I think, the other thing that's great about the Dirties and what I would this is an important lesson to everybody uh, is it is. Uh, I mean, it's a comedy in the form of a documentary. And I think what is extraordinary about it is the level to which Matt, the writer-director, thought through precisely what that meant and how that worked. Yeah. And the narrative structure of that film is extraordinary. And we get sent a lot of... I think people have figured this, oh, wow, if I make it like mockumentary style, we can just improvise stuff and not mm. write anything and we'll just shoot it and it can look shit. And it's so disappointing. We're sent yeah. so many of those films. and and. When you look at the good ones that do that, I mean, the second year of Loco, we gave the award to a film called Wizard's Way, which was made for £300 here in England, um, <laughs> in Manchester, Amazing. and is now being remade by Jack Black in Hollywood for like 5,000 times that budget. Yeah. Um, and again, I think Wizard's Way, like the Dirties, what they did is really think through what does it mean that this is found footage or yeah. documentary footage, you have to keep up that illusion every step of the way because otherwise what happens is the, you can feel the audience go, wait, what, is this, I d- no, but now, now we're just trying, you, this you know what I mean, like the form, yeah. the form of the film then works against mm. the film because did the audience gets lost. Yeah. Did you see the film uh, Into the Storm recently? Yes. Uh, the big found footage film, I thought that was utterly just ridiculous because mm-hmm. yeah. at moments it's like found footage and it's supposed to be you know, it's like some young kid who's like a filmmaker and he, or he's doing something, I don't even fucking care, whatever. But there's loads of moments where it breaks the found footage yes. uh, style, format, and it has like a helicopter shot out of nowhere. No, like you have pan, to like be... Like a big pan, I think, well, why, you know. You have to be consistent within your form. Absolutely. You have to choose the form, you have to stick to that form. And I think the other thing I would say is, is with relation to that kind of mockumentary format, is do not think that because it's improvised it will be better. Sure. I think people, you know, they read about what Judd Apatow does or what Armando Yannucci does here, 
and they go, oh, we'll just like improvise this stuff. And then you go, no, no, but those people write scripts, mm-hmm. and then you shoot the script, mm-hmm. and then you shoot around the script, then you shoot around the script again, and then you, you know, it's it's harder, yeah. not more easy. I think also there's a dangerous myth. I think improvised is the new exec producer for actors in Hollywood. Of it's like you know in the old days it was like well I'm a producer now and that makes me look good and now it's like oh we just improvised it and it's just a way of claiming more yeah, yeah. artistic ownership well, it, of yeah, that yeah. of that work and I think I've seen so many interviews with actors talking about improvising script that I know mm-hmm. somebody wrote yep. and someone sat it's alone so in a room for three years mm-hmm. writing yeah. this thing yeah. and then three more years of notes developing this yeah. thing. And then there's some actor on a talk show going, yeah, we just like spitballed this stuff and I we just made it so, so cool. Much. And it's so demeaning yeah. and it has to stop. It is it's, demeaning. It's, it's because we kind of, well, we, obviously not us three, but certain people kind of fetishize authenticity, which is why yes. I think mockumentaries and documentaries, not only just that they're cheap, sorry, not documentaries, mockumentaries, that kind of filmmaking, it kind of feels more real. And the idea of, like you say, people kind of claiming improvisation when they hadn't, kind of feels like a very kind of false... And reality is only one more kind of construct. I mean, a documentary is no more, no more or less artificial than a yeah, drama. Yeah, sure. And uh, you know, it's just artificial in a different way. It's still a, it's you know, documentaries still choose your own reality. Yeah, and I like to, in writing scripts, it's the same discipline, isn't it? It's, it was more discipline with comedy, and particularly in in the states and Canada, you do the kind of beat the joke. Sounds like sexual connotation. Is you beat the joke, um, up the joke, and you have entire passes where you just invite people over for pizzas and you just do a joke pass. You know, how many jokes per page? It sounds very clinical, doesn't it? It's like very prescriptive, but it's. I think it's more disciplined than when I would write yeah. for other, other genres. If the film ends up having passages, like perhaps, I, I hope there's, there's elements of Emily that feel improvised, that's great, but that comes with heavy amounts of structure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm all about outlining. It's like I'll outline for an entire year and walk with it and let it sit um, in me and then write for four days. I, c- I can't remember who said it, but it's one of the... F- a stand-up comedian once said, so I've read it somewhere, whatever, that stand-up comedy is the most stressful job in the world because you get the most immediate feedback from it. If you're not making yeah. someone laugh in ten seconds, you failed for that moment. Have you ever tried it? So No, stand Jesus, up. God, no. <laughs> but the idea that people... Why would you improvise that? You would obviously want to be on stage yeah. with a tight performance, like a, you yeah. know, a routine that's, you know, you know really, really well, and but then I make have, it yeah. feel improvised. But, you but know. if anyone can, it's Brits. I'm like, even listening to Jonathan, it's just like you guys are so freaking articulate. I'm going <laughs> well, for me, head to to mouth. This is hard. For I need to go head to paper. You know, it's like that's why. So that's why I'm not about the. But improvising as a rehearsal tool, that is phenomenal. Yeah. That's great. I mean, that's development. That's really. Yeah, because imp- I love improvising so much because it's writing, directing, and acting in one, but sure. really as a rehearsal technique and as, I don't know, the dessert on set. It's like you have this formula, and so you can add, shift it around. But Sarah did a very good panel here at LOCO um, early this afternoon, and I think one of the things you s- they were talking about, it was a panel of first-time feature film directors. Right, cool. um, and I imagine some of your audience are feature film directors, future film directors. hope so. Um, and I thought that was a really good point. You said that you'd wish you'd spend more time with your editor before you made the film. And I think that's one of those things that people don't really think about. They think of the editor arriving, kind of just try and stick the bits together afterwards. And I think that was a really important point about you have to plot the edit of the film because actually you need the editor to have enough shots to work around yeah. some things and to 
uh, and knowing what the editor will need before exactly. you go into production is exactly. incredibly useful. Yeah. And I think it's actually a point I've never really heard anyone make oh. at all. Certainly not as well as you as you did. And who else? Um, and so who are the other really really key collaborators that people may not necessarily think of? that significant in the in the production of a film yeah um I, I think all as i was saying everyone was kind of post in the title your sound mixer and your post sound i mean whether they're the same as in post or not but just the coen brothers are the most famous for it. it's like they go through every beat with their um you know their post sound guys and i'm just thinking of like the hallway scene and no country for old men and like every part of that was so planned out but it's just it's so strange that so your composer and your sound mix um your sound mixer and post those are people that i'd have on at a script stage you know because it's like how can i tell this visually is always the question but then how can i tell this um through audio as well because music and sound go straight to the heart and then visual goes to the head so i would just yeah i would say your composer and your editor um everyone needs to be making the same film so as much communication as you can. I mean, I interviewed everyone. I interviewed the PAs, I interviewed the caterers, I interviewed every single person, because I just wanted everybody to be making the same film, you know? I didn't want it to be like the ego project, which it very much kind of looks like at times, like the Sarah Warren show. It's like, well, no one else was gonna make it, so I had to do it. <laughs> um, could you also just say what other things are going on in, in the Loco Festival this year? Like, like So much. Just because, you know, film festivals, I, I love film festivals, I just, they're great. But they're not just about films, obviously, they're also about communities and they're about kind of helping young people and yeah. film literacy to be kind of swanky about it. So you can, what's your mission statement? Oh, be as swanky as you like. Um, <laughs> the, well, I mean, I think, as I said, the, the mission of Loco is to kickstart the next generation of British comedy filmmakers. Um, and so we do that through, obviously, the festival, because that's about exposing people to films they might not otherwise see. Um, and I think very specifically, I know that I'm looking for films that feel authored and have that very strong, clear voice behind them. Uh, I think also, if I'm honest, and I begin to realise this, that there is a, with a very small p political side of it, in that you know we cheerfully practice positive discrimination. I'm, I deliberately look for films from any kind of minority or interesting or exciting or unheard community within Britain and around the world because I think the more the more diverse the voices in comedy the better and yeah, I think there are still yes. huge groups of people that we do not hear of in comedy and comedy certainly on television is dominated by a very kind of narrow slice of society and we should change that um, the I mean as as much as the films are very very important I think we have a, a course kickstart your comedy career that runs for two days of the festival, which is 70 young filmmakers in a room together. Nice. That is the highlight of my year. It's amazing. Mm. You know, they're young. They've made short films. They made web uh, uh, series. They're brought together. We try and connect them with other people who might share an aesthetic because I think, as I said this morning at the opening of the course, the most important thing for making a career in comedy is to find someone who's cleverer and funnier than you and just hang on to them <laughs> and hope that they will lift you up with them. Uh, and comedy's made by gangs. You know, it's made by a group of people who share an aesthetic and a sense of humour, and to find people who share that sense of humour is incredibly difficult and important. I, I wrote, John, I've basically been kind of stalking uh, Jonathan. We can say anything, so it's comedic context. You say stalking, and everyone's, ha, 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 Jonathan online well, for years. Well, it was until I found him, my God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was that dancing video. Oh, no, it was the early, late 1800s. Um, no, I, 
I was waiting for my opportunity to wave him down and go, hi, Jonathan, I exist. So I waited till September. And then I sent him this kind of pitch letter being like, there's not enough British female filmmaking director. There's fem- a female comic, stand-up comics, and there's um, female actors who are hilarious, but there's not a lot of directors who have a comedic vision who can go, that's funny, that's not, this timing will be better. And I don't know, inspire their actors to... Uh, be funnier I don't know and so I wrote him my kind of feminist plea that was in a way more articulate sense than I'm saying it now and he he wrote back very fair response he's like I agree with everything you're saying now I have to see if your film's any good so I was like (laughs) great very that's exactly what I would want you to do (laughs) it's so nice to hear you in two things one you're very passionate about the craft of filmmaking and how it's a collaborative process I, I always think that this is a tangent, obviously, but one of the problems with the education system in this country and every country in the world is that it's all about individual people. Yeah. It's, you know, testing, standardizing every, like, individual. Don't yeah. cheat, don't copy, whatever. And obviously, it's not, life isn't mm. like that at all. Life's about collaboration. Filmmaking is a huge yeah. team of people. So that's kind of... That really bothers yeah. me about film schools. As it, it, It's really irritating about film schools as well because, and I teach it, you know, six of them in London. So... And it just they're kind of churning out this generation of auteurs. And it's just such a false reality. Yeah. It's like either you're going to go in a telly and you'll be incredibly lucky and you'll be directing other people's, you know, scripts. You'll be directing an episode of EastEnders or whatever. Or, you know, you're going to ha- you, you have to work as a team. It's yeah. like it's crazy. So, you yeah. You should want to be good at one thing. Mm. I mean, obviously, you are yeah. good at everything. <laughs> but, you know, like, there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with just being like a really good camera person or a really good director mm. or a really good producer or a really good whatever yeah. the role might be. I think that's something to be proud of. Don't be, everyone wants to be Louis C.K. It's never going to happen. Yeah, as much as I love Louis C.K., of course. Well, the other point I would yeah. make is that um, what exactly those jobs... I mean, there are many, many different roles on a film set, but how different people do those roles can be very, very different. Mm. You know, so producer... You know, is a hundred different jobs, yeah, and sure. different producers work in a hundred different ways. And there are directors who want enormous control over every aspect of the technical side, but feel a bit worried about the acting side. Or there are writers who are very good at comedy, but they're not very good at structure. And the reality is so much more shifting, I think, than these these clear sort of concrete divides that you would see from the outside yeah, really yeah. are. And the reality is that every film is made by a group of people having a lot of discussions. And I think the thing they should be teach people at film school is, you know, conflict management, um, <laughs> avoiding self-harm, uh, dealing with criticism, um, and, and actually just communication skills. There's a lot of things about making a film that are very difficult to talk to because, about because they tread into very difficult personal areas. All of us are putting our, you know, lives and thoughts and beliefs and personal secrets into the process in order to make a film that feels human and truthful and we're not most of us very equipped the language to talk about how we feel about things but that's the only way to make a film is by being very very honest with each other and I think communication among groups of people is a thing that really needs to be taught it's more important than knowing which lens to stick on 100% but it's also I, oh, the other thing I was going to say. It's nice to hear you so passionate about film in a sort of theoretical sense, mm. in the sense that you know this is it's, it's important to see certain things on screen. It's important to see social classes being kind of like represented in whether it's funny or whether it's serious. You know, it's nice to hear someone talk about like film in an intelligent way. That's basically my point. Jonathan is the best at it. <laughs> it's, I, I literally sit in awe, and I just—it's amazing. Yeah. He works in theatre, he started this festival, he has more connections in this festival than 
can I say, the BFI, <laughs> the London Film Festival. It's just the initiative that he takes and the wealth of knowledge and articulation. It's a great combo. It's amazing. amazing. Very, very honored to be part of LOCO and future relationships. Well, I guess the other bit about the festival that's really important to us is that you know, we every film has a live introduction wherever we can afford to and sometimes by Skype um, we interview the directors afterwards and I think probably our interviews are a bit more technical and craft based than most of those kind of interviews which tend to be hey what was it like working yeah. with <laughs> Russell Crowe <laughs> secret not fate um, uh, and so we, you know, we tend to talk a lot about the craft of comedy and I think there's this sort of myth I think that if you try and like, explaining a joke kills the joke I don't think that's that. true. I think when you understand mm. what Cary Grant is doing in a scene, it does not dis diminish what yeah. Cary Grant is doing in that scene. It just makes you all the more yeah. dizzy and weak-kneed with admiration at how easy he makes that look, but how complicated what he's doing is. So I think mm. you know we do try to analyse how comedy works because I think that's how we make comedy that's more interesting and more distinctive and more uh, original. Yeah. The other thing that we try to do, I guess, with the festival is, I mean, we always have some silent films um, in the festival because I think, you know, that's how cinema began. And this year, the thing I'm really, one of the things I'm most excited about the festival is uh, a programme called Britain's Forgotten Pioneers on the Saturday afternoon. And that is comedy silent films made in Britain between 1899 and 1917. Mm. You are then watching people inventing cinema in front of your eyes That's and the, the the astounding leaps in imagination and special effects and performance that you see in that 18 year period is breathtaking you know from but it is basically well the first film is called ever made was made in leeds in 1888 it's called the round hay garden scene and it's basically five people dancing around a garden for about five seconds um you know, we get from that to Melies, you know, journey to the moon. Unbelievable. In such a tiny space of yeah, time. Mm. And those films still feel so fresh and dynamic and exciting. So and I'm funny. so pleased that we get to see them. Um, I mean, I could talk for hours, but we probably shouldn't necessarily. Um, but one question I would like to ask you both is about the future. Yeah. So you're making a new film. Is that true? Yes. I have three feature films. Oh. Yeah. In development. Waiting two, two of which waiting to be optioned. Option my script. And uh, there's my soulmate plea again. Producer, 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 are you out there, out there, out there? And yeah, it's just about which one gets greenlit first. And we're excited to take Emily All to comedies. future festivals and more VOD and more distribution and see what happens. No, they're not all comedies. However, I've been inspired by the chat that you guys have just had about this kind of dark comedy thing and I'm thinking that the sci-fi romance actually may just be a comedy so who knows loco maybe well will be in our future but may or may not be as a spectator <laughs> and where is Emily going next do you know can you confirm anything I don't know well the very next thing that yeah there's a few I guess secret things but um, the very next thing will be Curzon on demand and it's very funny one of my friends is going your face is going to be beside Jake Gyllenhaal this is hilarious because <laughs> it goes coming soon and then it has this thing it's very funny uh, these are the things we laugh about so Curzon that's the next nice. place so I'm please buy it. Yeah, it will yeah, be six I'm, pounds. I'm going to show people. So I'm, yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. Yay. Um, and yeah, for the festival then, any kind of Whoop. anything you'd like to say about the future of the festival? And also, so. can I just, these guys have like a five-year plan. They're so on it. They're already planning next year. Now, they're so competent. 
Um, thank you, Sarah. That's very kind. I don't know what the five-year plan is, but I'm glad there is one. This is clearly Sarah's spying technique. <laughs> it's working very, very well. Um, I hope that the festival... I mean, I guess the point of having the London Comedy Film Festival is to, you know, is to build the audience for comedy. I hope that over time, you know, we, we, you know, we have more opportunities to introduce more original, interesting films to more audiences. And hopefully, the, you know, if the festival becomes a bit more established, we have a bit more weight, we have a bit more credibility to, you know, if we say, guys, you should watch this movie, people think, okay, I'll give that a yeah, shot. Sure. You know, and I think that's in the sense of all of us, all we can ask is to have that credibility and that integrity to know that... And I, d I think this is true. I do think we are not swayed by anything other than how good this film is. Right. Because I think as a festival, all you have is integrity. I think if people feel, ah, you only stuck that one in because it had some famous guy in it, yeah. um, the moment you've done that, you're, you know, you're lost. Um, so I hope we can just build that um, knowledge. I guess the thing that makes us most happy is when at our festival we managed to show a film that was made by someone who came on one of the courses. Right, That's nice. the point, mm. you know, is to kickstart the next generation of British comedy filmmakers and then show their films and then find them an audience. That's, that's what we're here to do. What about, uh, ever thought about going on tour outside of London or doing anything? Because I lived for years around Southampton and one of the reasons I came to London is because it's just, everything's happening here. It's such a shame in a way that everyone has to kind of come to London to see like interesting films and you know film festivals so well put you on the um, spot but have you ever thought about uh, no I mean getting out of the city we would love to um it's a it's a conversation that we have I guess about taking some of the films from the festival on tour um it, I mean once again it just comes down to finding the money and the resources sure. to, to do that um I think it still feels like a very tiny animal with quite big feet um loco in the you know, it's actually a very, a very small number of us in a room, mostly my kitchen, drinking tea, talking about stuff. And then for four days a year, it feels like this big thing yeah. that's in the, you know, press and on TV and stuff. And then it goes back to us in a room. And and also, it's none of our job. I mean, it's, it's the thing that we do because we love it and we care about it. And so we would love, though, I mean, that, that's the point of, the, of doing it, is to bring those films to a wider audience. And if... I would love that to be a, a national audience, not yeah, just a, sure. a London audience. And I think obviously the, the relationship with Curzon On Demand has been brilliant. This is the first year that we've teamed up with them for the Discovery Awards, but I would love to do that again and on a bigger scale, just again to you know to bring these films to a, within reach of as many people as possible. Yeah. Because so many do slip through the cracks, and I think it's a great shame. And very often, the ones that slip through the cracks are the ones that really shine. So there we go. As usual, I could have talked to my guests for hours, but it was mid-festival and Jonathan had to go and find Monica Lewinsky again. Amazing. Anyway, the Loco Film Festival is going on right now, so head over to locofilmfestival.com for more info. All of the films that I've seen so far have been really good, so hats off to the programming team. As always, please subscribe to the Crispy Sharp podcast on iTunes and check out www.crispysharp.co.uk for reviews, especially from this year's festival.